With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or record her voice. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventure, and the challenges she overcame. The book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Personally, I love my life in a book. I tried it with my mom, and I've heard stories I'd never heard before because, you know, they just never came up naturally in conversation. It's easy to use, and my favorite part is it's given me more of an excuse to talk to my mom more. You know, it's not always easy to come up with those on your own. Listener, check out mylifeinabook.com and use code Obscura at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code Obscura for 10% off today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Eagle, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dog joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Listener, I've watched this video, and honestly, it's 20 minutes well spent. The health of my animals means everything to me. This stuff has improved the coats and energy of mine, and they love it. Normally they are picky with food, but they really enjoy this stuff. Go to badlandsfood.com slash obscura and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash obscura. You're listening to an Obscure Quick Cut. Now presenting Dennis and Katya. Fifteen-year-old Katya Vlasova and fifteen-year-old Dennis Muravyov started dating in May 2016. They were together for six months before they broke up after a fight. On November 9, 2016, Dennis made a post on social media that said, Forever in my heart, despite everything. Sadly, that all happened this way. These were the most memorable seven months. Only with you am I good. I did not expect this from you. Always believed you. I loved you. Love now and will love. 
this post must have tugged at Katya's heartstrings, because the two got back together. On November 11, 2016, the teenage couple ran away from home to Katya's stepfather's cottage in Strugikrozhne, a small village 50 miles northeast of Skov, Russia. For the next three days, they stayed in the house, hanging out, smoking, and drinking. On November 14, 2016, Kaya and Dennis woke up to someone knocking on the cottage's door. Kaya grabbed a knife while Dennis grabbed an airsoft gun. Kaya answered the door and saw her mother and grandmother. Kaya's grandmother flew into Kaya, demanding Kaya give her the knife. Natalie tried to intervene, and somehow the knife was taken from Kaya and Kaya's hand was cut. Dennis threatened Kaya's mother and grandmother and told them to leave. When they didn't listen, Dennis took the airsoft gun and shot Kaya's mother in the thigh. Kaya's mother and grandmother retreated from the cottage. The couple's troubles were not over. The police had showed up to the cottage. As police got out of the van and started heading towards the building, Dennis went to the balcony and started shooting at the police, this time with a real gun. Kaya live-streamed Dennis as he shot at the police. <laughs> The couple continued to photograph and livestream their actions for the next few hours. The photos and livestreams were on Instagram, Periscope, and Russia's version of Facebook. Dennis posted three pictures to Instagram. One was a picture of him and Katya holding weapons with a caption that said, Black Dolphin. One was a picture of the police van he'd been shooting at with a caption that said, I'm relaxing with my beloved. And a third photo of ammunition, alcohol, money, and weapons with no caption. When the teenagers weren't posting on social media, they would sometimes go onto the balcony and shoot toward the police or the police van. They shot at the police approximately 30 times in total. Kaya and Dennis's parents and the police all tried to get the couple to surrender, but they didn't want to. During the live streams, the couple explained why they'd run away and what they'd been doing over the last three days. Kaya told the live stream viewers that three days earlier, she got into an argument with her mother. Kaya wanted to spend the night at her friend's house. Her mother said no, and Kaya left the house anyway. Kaya's mother found out that Kaya was gone, found Kaya, and quote, beat her up cruelly. After the beating, Kaya and her mother headed back to their house. It wasn't long before Kaya ran away again, this time with Dennis. Dennis stole money from his mother, then bought the two bus tickets with the stolen money. That's when they headed to Kaya's stepfather's cottage in Strugikrozhne. Once the two teenagers got to the cottage, they broke in through a window. When they got inside, they broke into Kaya's stepfather's gun safe and took out his guns. Guns are hard to find in Russia, but Kaya explained that her stepfather was in the special forces, so he had multiple guns. Kaya and Dennis each published the same post on social media at around 11 on November 14th. The post said, I loved you. But you yourself did not notice how they destroyed my psyche and life. Farewell to all, and friends and family and acquaintances. Do not worry. I will leave beautifully. Good luck to everyone in life. 
Please do not be afraid to live the way you want or consider it necessary. Life for pleasure is the best life. Love you. Eventually, a unit of the National Guard of Russia, the Special Rapid Response, or SOBR, showed up to the cottage. They told the teenagers that they had 40 minutes to think about what they wanted to do. Kaya and Dennis continued live-streaming, drinking, and smoking. In their last recording, Dennis said, Special Forces is waiting with weapons. There is a whole detachment. He walks around the house so that we do not run away. A periscope commenter asked about their parents and Kaya said, Why didn't they feel sorry for us? They never spared us. Dennis replied with, They are supporting now. Maybe they want us back. Kaya responded with, They support now, but it's too late. Kaya then talked about how if they surrender, their lives will be over. They will go to prison. Dennis talked about how if they surrender, you will have to pay for everything he did. Killing two dogs when he shot off the balcony, shooting at policemen, etc. Then a periscope commenter asked if the police took away their weapons. Dennis said they threw all their weapons, including knives, out the window. The couple joked about how the only weapon they had left is a ladle. Dennis then said they should give up because there are no more options. If they don't give up, the police will kill them. But if they do give up, they will be sent to different cities and will never see each other again. The last live stream ends abruptly and the teenagers stop communicating with the police. After the end of communication, SOBR decided to take action. They used stun grenades, then entered the cottage. When they got inside, they found both Kaya and Dennis dead from gunshot wounds. Russian officials announced that no police officers returned fire on the teenagers during the shootout, but both teenagers were found dead from gunshot wounds. They believe that Dennis shot Kaya, then shot himself. But many people online don't believe Kaya and Dennis committed suicide. Some believe the SOBR killed them when they entered the cottage. The main evidence to fit their theory is that Kaya and Dennis said in their last live stream that they surrendered all their weapons and said they couldn't commit suicide. If Kaya and Dennis were lying, then how did they end up dead? I'll leave that one to you, listener. You're listening to an Obscura Quick Cut. Now presenting The Blue Tarp Suicide. On March 14, 2018, an internet user known only as Shuabi invited his friends to watch a live stream that he was streaming on YouTube. He told them he was going to live stream his suicide. Shuabi started recording everything he was doing as well as what his friends were saying as they watched. The stream opens on Shuabi wearing a bandana over his face. The bandana appears to be a cheetah's nose with rainbow colors for the mouth. Shuabi is only wearing a blue Nike shirt and black stocking cap over his head. The only thing the viewer can see is his eyes and the top of his nose. Shuabi appears to be in his bedroom. There are anime posters plastering the wall. He is sitting in front of a blue tarp hanging on the wall. The second the recordings begin, a woman watching the stream is crying, but you can't make out what she's saying through the tears. Shuobi adjusts his position on his bed and his camera. 
Tebot, do you want to talk to us about, about this? Please talk to us. No, talk to us. Talk to us. Shuby waves to the camera and looks around. He isn't saying anything to reassure his friends. What happened? What's wrong? We want to help you. Yes, I'm you're, you're one of our best friends. Please don't. I don't know how I'll explain that to someone. Shuby finally starts talking to the camera, though he's difficult to hear through the bandana covering his mouth. Whatever he said must be upsetting, because the woman starts crying again. Shuby gets off the bed and walks to his bedroom door. He shows the viewers a piece of graph paper on the floor. The graph paper says, I am dead. Don't let the kids see my body. Goodbye. There is a key on top of the paper. He then slides the paper and key under his bedroom into the hallway. He goes back to where he was before, in front of the tarp, and readjusts the camera. The live stream viewers are still worried about what's going to happen. I don't even know if you can hear me. Can, I can hear hello. <laughs> we love you. Love you, sad boss. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever you need to You have a whole group of friends that okay. You guys you hear know, me? Do this. You guys ready? Please, Sadbot, do the right thing. Can you guys hear me? I know it's hard now, but it's gonna get better. Believe me, it is going to get better. Shuby types a response to the viewers. His response is worrisome. The woman starts crying again, says she can't watch. Shuby looks to his bedroom door, as if someone came into the house. The viewers are starting to wonder if Shuby is going to commit suicide, or if this is all fake. Once Shuby knows what he's about to do is being recorded, he waves to the camera, then holds up another piece of graph paper to the camera. The paper says, By R9K, 31418. He holds the sign to the camera for 10 seconds. He then readjusts his camera. You can now see that his bed is covered in a blue tarp, just like the wall. Shuby grabs his gun. It's a Caltech KSG. The 12-gauge pump-action KSG takes a 3-inch shell and is downward ejecting. The barrel length is shorter than your typical shotgun barrel, coming in at 18.5 inches. Shuby cocks the gun, then shows the gun to the camera for 12 seconds. He then puts the gun to his head, above his right eye. Shuby looks directly into the camera, takes a few deep breaths, and then... Shuby doesn't do it. He readjusts himself on his bed. Then he takes the gun away from his head and recocks it. People on the live stream talk about how the stream isn't working. They seem more worried that the live stream isn't working than about what Shuby said he's going to do. Shuby puts the gun back to his head, above his right eye. And this time, waves goodbye. Holy shit. Oh, 
That's six minutes into the live stream. Shuby pulls the trigger. He is blown back into the wall, knocking the tarp down. Shuby's body falls to the ground next to his bed. The tarp falls over him. There is brain matter and blood on the ceiling and the wall. For a moment, his room is quiet. One of the viewers said he's going to keep the recording going until someone comes into the room. Within seconds, Shuby's bedroom door opens. So someone comes in the room. I can't go back in the stream. Um. Oh. Oh, he made another stream. Okay, I was on the old. Um, it was called this time. Oh shit! He linked it. Oh, the fucking chat. God damn it! I have witnessed this murder. Assumed to be Shuby's mother, lifts the tarp to reveal Shuby's body. She continues to scream, then she realizes there's a camera on the bed. She picks it up and stares into it for 15 seconds, then puts it back down with the camera, pointed towards the ceiling. Shuby's mother calls 911 and tells the dispatcher where she's at. The woman lifts the tarp over Shuby and starts to cry again. A young child comes into the room the woman asks the child if she told daddy. The child says yes, that dad said to call 911. The woman stays on the phone with the dispatcher, till the paramedics come. She continues to cry. The paramedics arrive ten minutes after Shuby pulled the trigger. The paramedics ask the woman to go downstairs. They explain that she doesn't need to see what's in the bedroom. For the next 33 minutes, the paramedics and police talk in the background. All of it is difficult to make out. The live stream ends at 49 minutes and 41 seconds. The last thing the viewers see is the bloodied ceiling. The YouTube live stream was immediately taken down from YouTube. But before the video was taken down, people uploaded it to SendVid, an internet service where you upload a video then share it. The video made its way to our drama. The video stayed on Reddit for 9 hours until Vice wrote an article about the video. Once the article was published, Reddit removed the video. On March 14, 2018, at 11.50pm, an anonymous user posted a thread titled, 4chan or suicide, to 4chan. The Daily Dot described the 4chan board, R9K, as a board for not safe for work content and edgy internet humor that often takes aim at trans people, people of color, and people on the autism spectrum, among others. The user said he was a friend of Shuby, who wanted to clear up rumors about Shuby's suicide. The user said he became friends with Shuby through a 4chan thread about a month ago. The user described Shuby as a genuinely awesome guy to talk to, and that he loved him so much. The user said while they were friends, Shuby started going through something with his mom. The user and others would tell Shuby that his parents cared about him, and that Shuby should trust his parents. After a while seemed like Shuby was doing okay for the most part. 
but one day it really started to bother him. Then Shuabi set up the live stream and sent it to his friends. Within a few hours, people found the live stream and started sharing it on the internet. Then people started making up rumors. The last thing the user said was that R9K did not drive Shuabi to suicide. 4chan users started commenting on the thread. Many of the comments said the user who started the 4chan or suicide thread didn't know Shuabi and just wanted attention. Many commenters felt the suicide video was fake. The thread created to clear up rumors only led to more rumors. At this point, internet users had used the address from the 911 call from the live stream to find out who Shuabi really was. His name was Shuab Aslam, and he lived in Stockton, California. Shuab Aslam was born on February 29, 2000, to a Pakistani-American family. Shuab was known to his friends and family as a kind and loving person. He was very open about his depression, and he even turned to his family and friends when he began to feel feelings of worthlessness. Shuab's family thought he was getting better. He spent a lot of his time watching anime playing video games, and posting on various social media platforms. He also spent a lot of time on Reddit. Two of his posts really stood out. Two years ago, he posted an anime screenshot that said, I've never known anyone I could really call a friend. And three years ago, he posted an anime screenshot that said, I've been thinking about death almost all day. An Islamic funeral prayer for Shuab was held on March 17, 2018, at the V Street Mosque in Sacramento, California. In the United States, suicide is the second leading cause of death in people aged 10 to 34, with the number one cause of death being unintentional injury. In 2017, 47,173 suicides were reported. That's around 129 people each day, and the rate keeps increasing every year. In the state of California alone, one person dies by suicide every two hours on average. It is unknown how many people have live-streamed their suicides as the CDC does not collect data on live-streaming suicides. If you or someone you know needs help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or www.suicidepreventionlifeline.org. As we take a moment's pause in the middle of our exploration of the dark corners of humanity, let's explore a different kind of mystery, one that takes you back to the roaring 1920s with June's Journey. In this hidden object game, you slip into the role of June Parker, tasked with unraveling the murder mystery of her sister. Each scene is meticulously designed, filled with hidden clues that lead you deeper into a storyline, riddled with danger, romance, and scandalous family secrets. I've personally ventured through the ornate parlors of New York to the charming streets of Paris within this game, each chapter peeling back layers of a complex narrative that's as engaging as it is visually stunning. Beyond just solving mysteries, June's journey invites you to escape into an era of opulence as you build and customize your very own estate island. It's the perfect blend of challenge and relaxation that I find incredibly refreshing, especially after delving into the often intense themes of our podcast. For those of you who thrive on solving puzzles and uncovering stories, June's Journey offers a chance to channel your inner detective. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today 
on iOS and Android. Step into June's shoes and help her solve the ultimate mystery. Can you uncover the truth behind her sister's tragic demise? Now, let's dive back into our own mysterious journey here on Obscura. Stay tuned and keep your wits about you. Listener, like many of you, I've had to get creative in how I keep up with family. With everything that's going on in the world, I found myself using FaceTime to connect to loved ones more than ever. It's never been more important to stay in touch with everyone in my life. Thanks to StoryWorth, I can feel closer to loved ones, no matter the distance. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's a fun new way to engage with family, especially those you can't see in person. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family member different story prompts, questions you've never thought to ask, like, has your life turned out differently than you imagined it would? And what have you changed your mind about over the years? StoryWorth has helped numerous families learn about each other in profound, special ways, and their testimonials will practically move you to tears. In fact, StoryWorth has already created a powerful experience for me because it's allowed me to connect with distant relatives in a way I hadn't before. There is no shortage of surprises when reading the weekly stories, and they make your family feel close, even if you're not together. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. Give your loved ones the gift of spending time together, wherever you live, with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com obscura. You'll get $10 off your first purchase at storyworth.com slash obscura for $10 off. You're listening to an Obscura Quick Cut. Now presenting James Heydrich, The Mentalist. It's 1989. A police transport barrels down the road. The private security driving the vehicle are unusually nervous about their cargo. Because James Allen Heydrich, born February 28, 1959, is no common prisoner. The transport is headed to California, according to the Los Angeles Times. When Heydrich was released into their custody, the guards were warned not to look Heydrich in the eye, for fear he might cast a spell. Now on the road, the men grow nervous. Both have felt the vehicle rock several times. The stories of Heydrich's psychic powers seem less far-fetched now that they're in close proximity of the man. James Heydrich has a reputation. Because of this reputation, his ride will be uncomfortable. Heydrich is fastened in and will continue to be fastened in. What will later be described as uncommonly tight security Patrick S. Pemberton of the Tribune reports that Heydrich claims to have escaped from 148 jails. State Prosecutor Michael Kosky will later admit that James Heydrich escaped from, at minimum, three jails. Utah, Georgia, and South Carolina. It's said that in Georgia, Heydrich kicked through a wall to escape. 
in South Carolina, he broke through the gates. In Utah, he pole vaulted over a fence. It's easy to understand the tight security detail that surrounded Heydrich at every turn. A prisoner with a reputation as an escape artist is nothing to scoff at. But why the fear of psychic powers? Why did this fear run deep enough to scare private security? Well, as I said before, James Heydrich is no common prisoner. In the 70s, Kung Fu was at its peak in popularity. To garner fame, James Heydrich took advantage of this boom period by combining sleight of hand and magic tricks. With his natural athleticism, Heydrich could make it appear as if he were spinning a pencil with his mind or turn the page of a phone book with just a wave of his hand. But it wasn't just fame and money Heydrich used these admittedly impressive parlor tricks to gain. No. He had a darker purpose. Heydrich used the allure of martial arts and psychic powers to attract the interest of underage boys. If the thought of learning combat techniques and telekinesis wasn't enough, Heydrich offered cigarettes, drugs, food, anything to gain their trust. Once he had their cooperation... Heydrich would bring the boys back to his Huntington Beach apartment and sexually abuse them. Reading older articles, I've seen this disgustingly described as, quote, procuring sexual favors. When Heydrich was 19 years old, he and three other men were riding together in a van. At some point, they saw 25-year-old Mark S. on the side of the road. Mark, out of gas and thumbing for a ride, could never have expected the horrors that awaited. The four men forced Mark into the van, blindfolded him, cut off his clothes and tied his hands behind his back. One man drove the van. Two others forced their penises into Mark's mouth. Another man grabbed what may have been a glass bottle and began forcing it into Mark's anus. The men forced Mark to give directions to his apartment and then proceeded to burglarize it. Afterwards, the men drove Mark around for an hour, deciding what to do with him, until finally, they threw Mark out of the van. Despite facing legal trouble stemming from two kidnapping and torture cases from 1977, Heydrich still managed to build his reputation as a telekinetic martial arts master. That is until James Randi spoiled things. Tonight on this stage, you are going to meet a man who claims he can move physical objects using only the powers of his mind. All of us are very pleased, not just pleased, but excited to have you with us. Now, you claim to have psychic powers, don't yes. you? Yes, I do. Is this something that you have discovered recently or have you known of it since childhood? How did it all begin? Well, everyone's born with it. It's just a matter of development. What are you going to do, James? I'm going to move a pencil for you. With just psychic powers? Just psychic powers. Very well. Is it true that you can also turn the pages of this telephone directory? Yes, it is. And you will do that for us? I'll try. Should I take the pencil off the table? Sh yes. All right. There you are, James. You would like to open it to any page, or should you I'll, want me to do it? I'll be happy to. 
The amazing Randy maintains that you did not use psychic power, but that it was trickery. Mm. And he is prepared to pay you $10,000 if you can do it using psychic power. Here he is, the amazing Randy. Now, you saw James' demonstration from backstage. Yes, I did. And do you accept that as a demonstration of psychic power, or do you believe that he used trickery? I don't accept it as a demonstration of psychic power, Bob. I think that the solution is rather simple. I think that Mr. Heydrich is merely, to accomplish this effect, blowing on both the page and on the pencil. And the reason is rather simple, because the pencil reacts to even the currents of the air conditioning in this studio. It will be very difficult to try to put controls on it in such a way that normal currents of air that are present all the time would not move the pencil. For example... Skeptic and former stage magician James Randi made a career out of exposing frauds, and he had no mercy to spare for James Heydrich. On That's My Line, for the whole world to see, Heydrich was humiliated. Despite the blow to his reputation, Heydrich still managed to keep his career alive. People are gullible creatures, and a fool and his money are soon parted. But in 1981, Heydrich was again exposed on national television, this time by Dan Corum. After being caught dead to rights by Corum, Heydrich relented and confessed to everything in a televised interview. Once the pressure to fake was gone, he seemed almost excited, even giddy, to talk to someone about his tricks. I had spent hours and hours, I'd hold my breath, different breathing controls, so many ways. I can make deputies think someone touched them on their neck because I could breathe in a certain way on their neck. They would feel something and say, that's a ghost. They would piss on the floor and go running out of there. It was something that was fascinating to me and it got me recognition. I mean, every deputy in that jail was so frightened of me. That guy is possessed. I remember when I was in the chaplain's office. He taught me how to read and write. And I would convert people from bad to good. He told me that you had to turn them onto Jesus, the Lord. And he gave me a Bible, and I'd read it. Then I got an idea. Now, I've never told Brother Joe this, and I've never told anyone this. But I would convert 20 inmates a day. That was my limit. I would have to convert 20 inmates a day. I'd get up there start telling them about Jesus and stuff. And when I'd see that they were beginning to get turned off, I'd stop and I'd say, You don't believe that exists? I'd take a Bible and I'd open it up and say, If the Lord is here with me, make these pages move. Or I'd open the Bible and say, Hold the Bible. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, make these pages move. And the pages would move. And the guys are going, Oh my God, every time it worked, then I would say, it's in you, or I'd take a pencil and put it there and say, I've got to call the Lord, but you are going to have the power to do this if you accept the Lord. The next thing you know, you would see them with this big cross and handing Bibles out to people. Heydrich was born to a 13-year-old mother and a 36-year-old father. 
His father sexually abused Heydrich, his siblings, and his mother. Heydrich was chained to a tree for three months at a time and often had to sleep in a chicken coop. So when you were a young boy and, and you were beaten and you were shoved aside and mistreated, you, you started a fantasy world of your own. Well, see what happened. A lot of my pain, like I'd get pain, like in fact, I got scars all over my stomach when I was young. I'd think about going to the moon. And I remember when uh, my dad, he'd taken, he'd tie me to a barrel so I couldn't run or, or he'd, and he'd take a, you ever seen those little ping pong balls? He'd take two of those things, stick them in my mouth and, and tie my head and he'd whoop me so I couldn't holler loud because he'd be drunk. And, and see what I think is about laying my head down and just, I would imagine rolling and going up to the moon. He and his siblings were removed from their parents' care and subsequently passed around foster homes. During this time, Heydrich began to learn karate after watching one of his brothers get beaten to death. James Heydrich, martial arts instructor. Believed by many to be the world's leading psychic. Intellectually armed with a third grade education and claiming to be self-taught in the martial arts, one is easily impressed by Heydrich's exhibitions of strength. The Los Angeles Times reported that, after passing through at least seven foster homes, Janice Smith adopted Heydrich in Utah when he was 21 years old. Smith would go on to say, He was an abused baby. It's not his fault. It's bravissimo that comes through, and they don't understand their actions. He's like a Pied Piper. He is not a child molester. He can't stand to see parents abusing kids. He feels for kids who are having problems with their parents. He is tremendously naive when it comes to kids. He forms an attachment, protective attachment to them. He feels for kids who are having problems. Back again in 1989, the police transport made its way safely to California. At trial, one of Hendrick's victims testified that when his mother learned he was being molested, she sent him to a hospital for adolescence, where he stayed for two years. The victim, now an adult, told the court, I had a lot of anger issues back then and stuff, and trust and family and just everybody. I was angry about being placed in those places and probably carried a lot of that with me the rest of my life. And then later, I developed a substance abuse addiction, alcohol. James Heydrich was sentenced to 17 years in prison. According to case law, Heydrich was diagnosed with pedophilic disorder. Heydrich also suffers from psychopathy. It is believed that Heydrich has little empathy and his psychopathy makes it difficult for him to control pedophilic urges. The psychologist concluded that, if released, Heydrich would likely reoffend in a sexually violent manner. Heydrich's scheduled release date from his prison sentence was September 10, 2008. On September 9, 2008, the day before Heydrich's scheduled release date from prison, his release was placed on a 45-day hold. Shortly after, Hendrick was remanded back to the state hospital for treatment under the state's sexually violent predator law. 
In May 2013, Hendrick petitioned for release, but the trial resulted in a hung jury. On April 29, 2014, Calcos News reported that Hydrick, then aged 55, was denied release once again. He now resides in the Kalinga State Hospital. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money. 